Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and .net, org, ca, and so on. You can also find me at Alan Watt, sentient sentinel.eu. This is June the 7th, 2007. This week, I had a repeat performance of exceeding the band limit, supposedly, of the dot-com site. So you're all being transferred to another site. All the information is still up there. And it's rather odd when you exceed it, when you're only about a week and a part of the second week into the month. So who knows? That's just life right now. In a very strange life indeed. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about the RFID chip. Radio frequency identification. And Mark Bard at parallelnormal.wordpress.com has a little write-up on this. It says, RFID will protect you, says industry lawyer. Then below that is a picture of the Secretary of Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff, a very macabre-looking fella. He looks like the guy who would oversee mass executions. He has those dark, dark eyes with a fixed stare that you'll see in movies like The Exorcist. And it says here for RFID and public safety, he's the decider as the Secretary of Homeland Security as to what happens with all this. Well, we know, for instance, that this is a must-be this whole chipping business and identification. Before 9-11 happened, Wendy Mesley on CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation Television, did a documentary special on the coming ID cards, which you'd need for travel, for passports and so on, with a, a live, I believe, ID chip in it, in the card And she went through the process with one of her staff who applied for the new one, the new passport. This is before 9-11, remember? And they went through the whole process. Plus, she talked to some of the top people at banks who run these companies, actually, the the chipping companies. And one of them told them that when she asked what makes you think the public will accept this, uh, this character said, with no hesitation, he says, because they'll have no option. If you think 9-11 was happenstance, forget it. This was all planned long before 9-11. And in Britain, remember, they tried to bring in this same identification passport with the chip in it before 9-11, back in the late 90s. They even had some riots and outside Parliament about it because of all the kind of detail uh, that it contained about the individual on the card get back to this paranormal.wordpress.com article it says major corporations will be able to avoid lawsuits after terrorist attacks even if they fail to protect consumers by using RFID tags 
according to a lawyer who helped craft the law and now advises RFID companies. This is standard, again, if you think that politicians... You see, you can get all the little politicians at the bottom who scrabble for their little egos to get up the ladder and please their bosses because the only thing a psychopath respects is someone more powerful in a higher position. That's why military uh, organizations work. Yet all it, all it takes is for the big parallel government to put in one of their men here or there with a major agenda to accomplish, and they sail through, they get it done, and then they're back out into some other area. So here's a guy who helped craft the law, and now he advises the RFID companies. He sees as public-private, the whole thing is the new feudal system that Professor Carl Quigley talked about. It's here. It's been here for a long, long time. In fact, it's been here since they gave you the term democracy, just to put you to sleep. The law, the Safety Act, is called safety. See, again, they love these... Totalitarians love doublespeak. It's a trait of the psychopath, the terms that they use to lull the sheep down under good words like social, the word social, or safe, or safety. So it's the Safety Act of 2002. It shields companies from liability for damages if they use technologies approved by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. The Safety Act will also help Homeland Security with a long-standing goal, promoting the idea that the remote tracking devices are absolutely necessary to protect the U.S. population. So it's to protect you. A totalitarian will protect you by putting you in chains. Isn't that wonderful? And we know that most folk will not be indignant about it because they've already been socialized to the extent they are children, perpetual children, who are supposed to play while the experts take care of all their problems. That's how they've been raised, brought up, and lived through their life and watch all the propaganda on the fictional stuff on television. Walmart. Now, Walmart. I love the Walmart's logo, the five-pointed star between wall and mart. Tells you all you need to know, apart from the fact that they love walls all down through history, where it's Hadrian's Wall or the Great Wall of China or Wall Street or a Wailing Wall. They love walls all over the planet. It's one of the trademarks of the big builders. And wall is law backwards. Tram is just a, a conveyance. Procter & Gamble, another big company that's been in the business of altering us all through certain products for a long, long, long time. Interesting logo, Procter & Gamble too. You should check into it. Also, Tesco and Target, another company called Target, are among the companies planning to tag and track individual store items. I love how planning, they've been doing it for a long time. Everything you bought from Walmart's had a little chip in it somewhere. So they want to track store items and shoppers from the factory floor to the checkout counter and beyond. Former Secretary of Homeland Security Tom Ridge, meanwhile, has said the department can be trusted with the data gathered from RFID reader devices.
Homeland Security would mine the data, which includes purchase details and locations where the tags are detected (laughs) for suspicious activity. The RFID attorney, lawyers again, Ray Biagini, says that RFID is a good candidate for coverage under the Safety Act. I guess anything could be put under the Safety Act, really, couldn't it? Maybe even shoes. They could sell us shoes with maybe two feet of chain between them so that you can't take too wide a step in case you, you hurt yourself and fall. RFID can improve public health and safety in a number of ways, says Biagini in the latest issue of RFID Journal. They have their own journal, you see. A trade magazine. In other words, it's a, a high Masonic must-be when they have their own magazines out for it. The safety, this is all in capital letters, they love these terms. It's so comical how these children work. You know, they're, The psychopath has many traits, and we understand the traits you always will know to see who they are. And these terms are, are so typical of them. S-A-F-E-T-Y, support anti-terrorism by fostering effective technology. Ah, oh, uh, <laughs> Gives the Secretary of Homeland Security full discretion in shielding a company against lawsuits. So it's really a safety act to protect the big corporations. By certifying it is using technologies meant to protect the nation's people and resources. I guess the commoners are not people. Corporate liability lawyers, defence contractors and homeland security officials devised the Safety Act in a backroom deal. Oh, love these backroom deals. After 9-11, according to one of my sources, a lobbyist, and that's what it's all done through as lobbyists, for technology companies in Washington. In fact, Biagini, who works for the law firm McKenna, Long and Allridge, claims that he wrote many of the Safety Act's key provisions himself. Voila. Voila. Isn't it beautiful if you had a little company that made widgets, and here you are, but yet you belong to the right families, so you use your family lineages and connections. You use all the strata of corporations and non-governmental organization, the the official ones that is all associated with the United Nations, and you get a law passed so your product must be sold and bought by the people. Not bad deal, eh? Trial lawyers say that such tort reform measures are unfair to consumers. For example, imagine if half of your family died after brushing with Procter & Gamble's Gleam toothpaste from an RFID-tied package purchased at a Walmart store. If the government blames terrorists for the poisoning, you may find it impossible to sue the retailer for its suppliers for not taking adequate safety precautions if their use of the radio tags was Homeland Security approved. But given their influence at Homeland Security, Biagini, he's on the right, his pictures there on the right, young, up-and-coming young, psychopath, and the RFID industry seem likely to get their way with the Safety Act certifications. Well, they're going to get it because it was on the books a long time ago. That's a must-be for the world they're going to bring into to existence. 
former Security of Homelands and Security Tom Ridge and at least one of his former deputies have gone on to work for the RFID industry. Oh, surprise, surprise. Along with former Secretary of Health and Human Services Tommy Thompson. So watch as food and pharmaceutical companies begin to seek Safety Act protections for their ARFID-tagged tools, the goods, and use the DHS certified seal on the left as a selling point. I can remember when in Britain, and since the whole world is based on the British system, or the London system and the Commonwealth, which it owns, there's a bunch of the higher privy cabinet members, because in true democracies like Britain, you have a private council as well. So a privy council is of unelected people, although some of the supposedly elected ones go in there. And orders are given, and then laws are passed that affect the whole population. Often you don't, the public aren't told who these private members are. The privy council, the private council. So you have, a, you've already had a public private corporation running democracy for a long time. And a bunch of these people and the politicians who were in the House of Commons and the House of Lords came forward with the idea of privatizing the water supply of all the cities and towns in Britain and the natural gas was another thing. Now, as always, the public, through their tax money, had paid for the building of all these great infrastructures of piping gas and water and all the rest of it that goes into it. They do it all, then they claim it's just not cost-effective. My goodness, what to privatise it? So these politicians promoted all that. Then when they left, in about two years after they passed the, the, the acts, they just happened to form the company that got the contracts. So they ended up owning uh, the British water supply and the natural gas. They're also in Canada. I don't know if they got the contracts here, but they were in here about four or five years ago trying to do the same. They probably will get the contracts because they're mandated, no doubt, to take over the worlds. Uh, That's their job. There'll be one corporation that will deal with the world's water supply. You wait and see. Same with everything else. And ultimately, when you have all of these groups that own all the things that you need to live, you'll find they're all one at the top, the big capstone of the pyramid. So check into parallelnormal.wordpress.com Thursday, June the 7th, 2007 and see for yourself. There's an old statement that if you don't know your history, you are doomed to repeat it. Nothing truer was ever said. When you go back into the movements which brought in democracy, who really began the thrust towards democracy? Most people live in it. They'll fight for it and die for it when they're told to or ordered to. Yet they never look into its history or what it really even means. We get a sort of kindergarten version of a caring society that just evolved and people protested near the Chartist movement and 
all of this kind of thing, who protested and did passive demonstrations to get the people's rights. The way to hold power is always to foretell what's coming by keeping your pulse of the people up to date constantly. You, you check them. And if you sense something's coming, you institute the organizations first before they do, and you lead the movements. That way you've fooled the sheep once again into a next phase of control. For people who think that an elite who had ruled the world for thousands of years in an economic and monetary system and a form of feudal serfdom would just give up because they were fat, lazy and stupid, then you should stick to the kindergarten version, I suppose. Maybe it's all you can handle. The elite were never stupid. The elite had, for thousands of years, priests who specialized in histories and the psychologies of the people. The techniques are Machiavellian. We were given a form of democracy because the elite knew, because they guide the future. They guide us to a planned future always. The new world order is always becoming new. It's a never-ending story. The big builders of civilization, with the old allegory of Nimrod, never stopped. They always planned the future. Therefore, they never lose control, because why would you let people take over from you if you are in the realm, in your own little religion, of the gods? The revolutions that were fought were great experiments, They called them that in old history books. They were funded by the big banks from London and New York. But the first revolution was in England. People forget that. And it retained a monarchy, a very, very old monarchy. This strange combination of a monarchical democracy where everyone who works as a public servant first and foremost swears allegiance to the royalty to defect the queen and all her heirs for perpetuity before they take any oath at all to uphold their position over the community. That goes from the top right down to the the novice policeman on the beat. Or the private in the army. And that is the same in all Commonwealth countries. Yet, if you look into history, the whole idea, which on paper that is, there's always a different idea on paper, of democracy, was supposed to be vastly opposed to royalty and aristocracy running the show. It was opposed to feudalism. But we believe the theories and forget the reality. We live in a double-think. Because if you have both coexisting at the same time, you're in double-think. You can't have both coexisting. It's either one or the other. And to think that a very old and clever aristocracy that run the money and commerce 
and the peoples of the world, a good part of the world for thousands of years, would just roll over and say, oh, well, chap, well done. You beat us fair and square. You can have democracy. We'll just go and enjoy ourselves and play polo. Um, That's for children. That's a fairy story for children. That's why the terms that have been used to rule the people, like safety acts, etc., public security, social work, all these fuzzy words which we relate to as a tribal people. People are all tribal, regardless of how many mixes are in the tribe. There's still a natural tribal setting there, a community-type setting, where we expect leaders to speak to us when they pretend to speak to us, and we want to, to hear those kinds of words. It's like family. Family used to be a nice word. Now it's kind of frowned upon. We're now a global village, coined by Marshall McLuhan. There is a parallel government, always was one. For a long time in Britain, it was simply referred to as the establishment. People who had tried to investigate the loss of loved ones, who worked in security service, etc., would always come up to a brick wall. And once in a while, someone would get to meet some of the establishment who would tell them so look look sonny this is how you think the world works but here's the real one now go away and don't be a nuisance that's how the real world does work the united nations was just the expansion of a global empire that's why it was set up again the same people who set it up gave us all the previous wars and then said, oh, we can't go on with all these terrible wars. You people can't be trusted. We need a a world system to thrash all these problems out. And that sounded reasonable to ordinary people who are so sick of all the wars that we forgot this new United Nations, this scrubbed clean institution that was the League of Nations, which was all set up as well to be world government was actually there to control us all with a different agenda to bring in the planned society and then you start to get the truth coming out over many many years you see the cause of wars are not the elite oh no no from their point of view it's your fault it's the peasants fault it's you peasants who are called up and kicked off into the military to go and kill other people, all other commoners over there, you're the problem. There's too many of you. And you've, you've always got to be kept distracted or you'd, you'd have mayhem at home. So we have, to, we have to have wars every so often. And there's too many, so it helps to kill you off as well. Just the same technique has been used today. Well, global warming, warming is because you breathe carbon dioxide. There's too many people breathing. It's always your fault, you see. And that's your psychopath, because a psychopath has a pure ego. They they are pure ego. Whatever they cause to bring about, they must immediately throw the blame on to others. That's why they have a spotless conscience. They believe their lies. 
They can rationalize anything. Some people years ago on shortwave radio in the US couldn't get past their own indoctrination of knowing through their studies that the founding fathers of the US, many of them were Freemasons, which we can find out about, we don't know about the rest, but many of them are verified in their own writings and in lodge books. And the more that they went into their studies, people like Bill Cooper, for instance, tried to hold on to a double think because he'd been brought up on military bases. His father was in the Air Force. And he couldn't get past the stage of letting go of all that he believed in and, and loved through his indoctrination which was God, country, the flag and all that stuff, the American way. So he tried to compromise that these Masons gave the American people a chance. They'd either live in freedom or they'd live in slavery. If they couldn't handle freedom, they'd live in slavery. That's how he rationalized it. He couldn't get past the point, even in his own studies, when he found the deviousness of what was behind Freemasonry. He still tried to cling on to it until he couldn't cling on anymore. And that's part of that which brought him down towards the end, because his whole world was collapsing. That which he'd fought to maintain, he realized... He'd never had. It was never his. That's what I gleaned out of listening to some of his talks at the end. How can something be, be both bad and good at the same time? The old problem in all religions is what good can come out of evil. Some of the religions claim they've solved it and can compromise with that accept it the major revolutions were called experiments great experiments England first but still ends up with monarchy at the top makes it easier to manage when people think they're freer they allow some of the lesser up and coming psychopaths to vie for power and get into the public kitty which is a real goal get their hands in the honeypot of the tax money Jobs for life, guaranteed excessive incomes and special benefits. That's all you can expect in a monetary system of winners and losers. Success, failure, same thing. It's a psychopathic system. So don't be freaked out about it. And yet there's people today who've tried for years on various radio shows to try and save what's left of the system they were brought up in as it's changing. And I keep saying, how can you save something that was never yours in the first place? 
And for some people, perhaps your families didn't live as bad as some of the others. Perhaps they did. But that's pure chance. How can you live in a just system when most people are struggling or hurting or even starving at certain times not so long ago and, and not so not so recent history, not so late history? The Great Depression put millions on the roads. Millions lost their homes. Millions lost their farms or thousands did. Families were mobile. As the banking system went on as usual, just reclaiming their property because the, the ball is near court. The tax men kept out on as usual. That didn't stop, even though the people couldn't earn the money. That can happen again at any time. That's why all that brought it on has never been changed. George Soros did a mini plunder of the, the British system when he and two friends got together and plundered the, the so-called Bank of England forcing the government to borrow millions of pounds from the international bankers that Soros worked for and he got off with it and boasted about it in the mainstream papers this system has never been changed why hasn't it been changed? it's so that you can do it again and again and then give you a grand finale towards what's coming. That is the real world we live in. Prosperity in a period is allowed. Since the 1960s and 70s, generations have been bought off with credit cards and pensions which they could never have imagined before. To keep them quiet and placid and stupid not complaining, to bring them to a point to allow all this to pass where the next generation gets the rug pulled from underneath them. Not so hard to do when you realise that the generations have been so scientifically separated. Selfishness has been encouraged. The me generation never really stopped. Material goods have been flooding the market as fairly cheap junk from China, coupled with the multiple credit cards that everyone is using. This feeding frenzy, as massive changes are being made all around you, as the big fences are going up all around you, people are in a, a feeding frenzy of the material goods. Anything to stop them from thinking about anything that really matters. Any diversion will do. I don't think there's a newspaper in the world that hasn't carried the legalistic statements to do with chips of all kinds, the totally controlled society, and on and on it goes. So technically and legally, the people have been told where they remember it or want to remember it is a different thing. That's a personal choice, and it truly, truly is. Everyone is making their own decision as to what happens in the future and perhaps elsewhere to themselves. In 
ways they'd never have imagined. The cost of maintaining the large cities, the super cities, as the UN has mandated them to be called and created as they amalgamate all the smaller boroughs around them. The cost of keeping up the infrastructure as millions of people eventually migrate towards them because that's the plan as gas prices, gasoline or petrol in Britain, diesel, everything goes up in price as they force people off the roads under the Kyoto they want to eventually eradicate all non-essential vehicles from travelling on roads under the Habitat area agenda of the United Nations Agenda 21 they want everyone living except for the bureaucratic classes and maybe some of the military classes they want everyone else living inside the big super cities. The cost of maintaining the structures of the super cities is astronomical. At the moment, when you take all the sewage and systems underground that have to be maintained and rebuilt, as the because nothing that man makes lasts forever, except perhaps evil. The cost of replacing all these things is astronomical. It's not intended that these super cities will go on forever. Eventually there'll be small cities where the present capitals are with only an essential population, essential to the elite and the humanity or whatever remains of what was human the cloned, genetically modified, enhanced, the ideal design of ID will live in them. While the elite already have their well-maintained properties in the country, this is not a new idea, it's an old idea going back all the way to ancient Egypt and then Plato who was taught in Egypt and many of his own kind, Pythagoras too, Plato in the Republic, which every one of the elite reads often over and over, as H.G. Wells himself talked about. That was his favourite book, his first and favourite. Talked about a perfect state, talked about the world state, where the guardians run the whole world, the guardians of the world, and how they would modify the working people for specialized tasks they'd breed them for specific tasks he didn't know at that time at least he didn't talk about genetic modification he just used the old animal husbandry type techniques of domestication plus the mental qualities or lack of them they could breed in or out by selective breeding and pairing up but he also talked about the beauty of having the people pay for the biggest states which the elite would live in. And in this uh, dialogue type 
of teaching that he gave under the cover of dialogues between two people. He said to this other person, he says, what's the point of us maintaining our big houses and our and they also had holiday houses, just like the Leet have always had, near the coast of the sea somewhere. He says, the cost is incredible, and you're scared of robbery. The staff that you hire will steal from you. You always have to maintain everything and use all your money to do so. He says, better to get the, the people to do it all for you in a perfect world state. Well, that's what taxation's for. If you look at the big trust organizations and who they cater for, the biggest families on the planet technically own nothing. It's all maintained by the public. And it always has been. That's the real world. Meanwhile, as they do that, they give you an alternate reality where you believe that if you work hard enough you have to buy your place and it's yours and it never was yours it's going to be taken any time at all as we've already seen over the years and it happens still today houses are taken from people every day all over the world by government agencies or employees of government working on behalf of the banks one or the other that's the real world how could you save that why would you want to save an illusion what we have to do is to look at an alternate way not their way but an alternate way of getting through all of this a way which would like their way be vastly different and it would have to be a humane way not an inhumane way but as far as saving that which we think we have, it's an illusion. You can't save that which was never yours. Why would you save something when you're worrying, scurrying, tossing two or three jobs around if you're married at all temporarily as most folk are? You'll seldom see your partner. You'll seldom see your children. And you'll never really live at ease because you know you're not far away from the guy on the street if you lose your health and can't pay a mortgage or the taxes, one or the other. You can thank the, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations because in Britain and the U.S., it was that organization. It's, it's the same one organization. The CFR is just an American branch. They brought in, and they boast about it in their own books, property taxes. They put the bills in, in both countries. It was a must-be. These are the same guys who worked fervently for a century to bring in a, a united Europe and a united Americas and Pacific Rim conglomerate. Wherever they are, and they're all over the world, they put the same bills in through governments, and they're guaranteed to get them through. Because everyone really at the top 
of these governments knows who they're really working for, and they'd never say no to their masters. That's the real world. And we must start looking towards alternate ways. Not the inhumane way, where everyone is disconnected from everyone else. doesn't mean you're around loving everybody because there's a lot of nasty people at the bottom as you have at the top. Psychopathy isn't confined to a class. But there are a lot of decent, good people. I do think, personally, they're in the minority in this present world. And if that be so, then the majority, which is why they love democracy, it's not mob rule. It's just that the elite know that the mob will always go the way the elite wants them to go. Then the mob will have their way, in a sense. And ignorance is true. Ignorance can often be... It's different from being stupid. Being ignorant about something when the information is there is also a choice. If your IQ is within a certain reach, you have no excuse. And saying it's too difficult for me to stand up to this or face it or accept this reality, that's also a choice. This kind of choice-making has split up many, many relationships. When one person wakes up in a relationship and the other doesn't, or the other one can understand to an extent but doesn't want to go any further because they choose not to. The other person who has woken up a little bit further beyond that then has a choice to stifle themselves, which will lead to gastric ulcers and a form of annihilation, or go further with it. It's up to their conscience. They used to say your conscience was your connection with your deity. That may be so. It might also be so that we're living in an age where as I say, the majority don't have it because the psychopaths at the top who give you this pathocracy also give you the culture that you follow, which is inhumane. So you have a psychopathic culture that's taught as normal, egocentric culture where people are taught not to look at the bad aspects of life, look at the positive, which is a psychopathic way. It means you're throwing off conscience. Because conscience will eventually bring you around to responsibility if you have conscience. What I'm doing is not giving you a sermon of any kind, I hope. I'm just pointing out what is, what will be, And what can be. But I don't think there's anyone alive today that can honestly say at the end of whatever they really didn't know. Not knowing is a choice. And certainly not caring 
is a choice. All down through the ages, there have been people here and there who understood the times in which they lived with clarity. They understood the reality of it. They understood the pace that the world was moving at with regards to an eventual global structure of domination. They could teach others and wisdom could be passed on in the knowledge that there still was lots of time However, the age of Aquarius was the age designed long ago or picked long ago to bring in the final solution as far as the elite are concerned. The trinity of two and one, three, the duad and the one has always been there in the higher occultic circles with all of its meanings in the 21st century two and one was picked a long long time ago as a form of completion of one long part of the plan Therefore, the time to pass on knowledge is drawing to an end, obviously. You can look around you today, and with each five years or so that passes, you're into a more bizarre circus of fantasia. Just look at what the children are given and how vastly it's changing, how quickly it's changing. Their world is supra-real. They're already being conditioned for chips and a, a virtual reality. They're almost there, in fact, because when they're really into all these games and such, they're not themselves at all. They're lost already. They're being prepared for the next step. So the time is running out quickly very quickly there are no mass movements out there and if there were demonstrating against this you can guarantee they would be infiltrated and led by those who would bring you into compromise which is actually defeat there is no great movement against all of this Because this structure is so multifaceted, like a massive pincer movement all around you, where you are the hub of a a carriage wheel, and you see every spoke coming towards you all around you in a complete circle, that's all the avenues of attack upon you at the moment. So there are lots of groups 
groups specialising with each spoke of this wheel. And no one group really could handle it all. Yet the answers really are simple, they always have been. Some of them I've mentioned in various talks, never laid a lot of stress on them, I shouldn't have to. But the answers are contained within. When you know the, the blackness of the known, of what is coming, why should you fear the unknown direction of personal choice? You have no option. The sad thing is, most people who are completely indoctrinated and who live in fear and worry and scurry will try to hang on to this system which is taking them to an end, to the very end. That doesn't have to be this way for everyone. Everyone, it is true, on a daily basis is making a choice, and then another choice, and another choice. We have to look at different ways of living or risk complete oblivion of the conscious mind. All that will be left will be programmed robots. What an ending for being here for millions of years with the ability to be sentient, the ability to, to love, to care, to have sorrow, to have all of the emotions, to appreciate the world you live in and the nature around you. Those who are awake and aware, I'm sure, know that those around them who don't want to know the deeper issues are getting certain information from mainstream media because of the legalistic system so that future historians and present historians can always say, well, the public were told this back in so-and-so and they didn't complain. In other words, it gives a false version to those who read the, the histories written in the future. Yet that part is true. The acquiesce by their silence they can't truly say they don't know it's more true to say they don't care and yet if you don't care about those who fall before you eventually it'll be your turn to trip as well that's nature survival empathy for others ensures your own survival. That is something which Bertrand Russell and others talked about when they said they would encourage an egocentric, egocentonic society 
that would help separate people from people. The me type. Every religion has said the same things. Every religion. At least the parts I've left in and haven't been altered. We've all heard about treat others the way you want to be treated yourself. Don't treat them the way you don't want to be treated. And that's very, very true. And yet, if you don't care about people as you would care about yourself, then as I say, who's going to care for you? You can't save something that was never yours. This agenda is almost at the end of this particular phase of it. It will go on from there. Humanity and the genes that you carry are the genetic material, the building material, from which they will select the parts they want for specialized tasks, for purpose-designed people of the future, their servants. Well, the elitists say, as far as their mentality goes, their brain capacity, their survival instincts, they will remain unchanged. That's been written by Arthur Kosler and the Ghost in the Machine and Russell and many, many others, Aldo Huxley and so on. That's always been the agenda. But for the rest of the population, we will gradually, step by step, first be altered, then chipped, then non-persons, because we can't think individually. And as we're doing that, and that's successful, they'll already be being purposely made people. Ideal design. Not good news, but no one said it would be easy, eh? I always tell people that you are your own champion. Don't look around for heroes. That was fostered by the media and Hollywood. Everyone needs a hero, as the song goes. That leads you to your doom because no one can be a hero for you except yourself. From Hamish and myself, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. And a 